Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Welcome to the Monsters Madness and Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, joined by my co-host, Angelique. Say hello, Angelique. Hello. And Mitchell. Say hi, Mitchell. Hello. And this um, evening, we're joined by Mitchell. <laughs> Me. <laughs> and this afternoon, we're joined by, by, by... By the way, as if you hadn't noticed, I'm a disruptor and a mixer. No. Nah, I mean, I don't you know, you. Love it. By, by, by <laughs> way of introduction, that's how you should go. Disruptor and... We got Mick Strong here. Mick, how you doing? Uh, I'm very disruptive today. <laughs> that's why we had you on. I have a reputation to uphold or to download, you know, however it goes. The start at the beginning, when you're a youngster, what were you into? You watching monster movies, rereading comics? What's oh, well, you see, it was so different when I was a kid. When, when I was a kid, we got to see... You only had like, I'm going to say like nine channels all together, right? And most of them actually went in and grabbed all the old black and white films and kept rolling them they would have some programming they would have local news but then maybe from about nine to eleven o'clock on at night and a lot of times in the afternoons they would be showing you black and white films because that was the only out for those black and white films you know right it is back in the day when you know films weren't everywhere if you missed it in the theater you fucking missed it it was gone right <laughs> right you know so it even up until the time that i did nightmare on Elm street three it was still kind of that way i mean four was the first one that actually had a release after that for the vhs and you know and seven people went out and immediately buy a vhs copy <laughs> i see that most of your stuff is done you're a set designer and i'm terrible with my hands so did you pick up that knack from your father is that something you had to knack my for father was a builder it's ah. funny you should say something like that my father was a builder my mother was an artist and so i became a, an artist that, that's a builder and, and the thing is is the other element is all, all the special effects and we <laughs> my father wasn't around very much and he was the type of guy that he would bring home the carcass of something and say here tear this apart you know just, just so that he could keep us the wolves you know hungry <laughs> oh, oh so he would throw a 1967 suzuki motorcycle over in the corner and we go <laughs> just tear it apart if we if, <laughs> we would go we would go away and leave him alone and that was that was the most important element was leave him alone <laughs> <laughs> Now, do you remember your first big project you worked on? Not movie-wise, but when you were building your own shit, basically. Okay. We used to build tree forts. <laughs> and I don't mean tree forts. I mean, we used to build tree forts. We used to build... <laughs> We, uh, across the street, there was, I lived in, in California. I was in Abe, California, which was, there's three others of them. And we used to have these breaks between lots and the orange groves that, that we lived in kind of went up this hill. And where they did, they had this huge run of eucalyptus trees that went up and around. And eucalyptus trees are, I don't know, they're, they're between uh, 80 and 200 feet tall. And so we would... <laughs> We would like go up the side and in typical logical fashion for a child, you know, you would take a board that you found. And my son actually pointed this out. He says, you know, you can't build And, and he said that he was he was wise at like 10 years old. 
you know what you can't build a tree fort that's not that's not how it works and i saw and i and he was explaining this to somebody else he says this is how a tree fort works and i have to walk into the room when i was he says your dad goes and gets you a bunch of lumber and junky lumber and you just keep throwing the lumber out there and then you throw a whole bunch of rusty nails out there and then just make sure that there's always tools around then blooms up out of that right (laughs) and that's exactly what happened except for we had we had that faith in a nail you know (laughs) the faith in the nail thing you know where you and and if you had faith in one nail you had a lot of faith in like eight nails right (laughs) and so you would like nail a board to the side of the eucalyptus and then and then get up as best you could up and hold on to that board and then nail in the next board and keep on going and as far as you could possibly get up there you would start building a fort (laughs) That was based on the imaginary holding capacities of nail. So basically, you're an Ewok. <laughs> yeah, essentially, <laughs> it's, it's it's like the Ewoks are the first ones that stole my ideas. <laughs> you can sue them. Disney's got a lot of money. Oh, oh yeah, right. <laughs> Go up against Mr. Lawyer there. No way. Yeah. Now it's Disney. <laughs> my chances are gone. <laughs> so, what made you kind of look towards films eventually and dip into that area i really didn't i didn't i i was uh, busy uh, struggling along i already had a small family i was very late to come into the film business i mean maybe 25 or something like that for most film businesses is an old man and my sister was working in in new york as a costume designer on off 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 broadway you know the kind of broadway show where you literally go out and sell purpose purses on the corner so that you can not not for your own food so that you could get money to get that right color of red dye right <laughs> right you, you, you see what i'm saying right there is this this thing in the business that if you get a job in the business the first thing you do is you hire somebody to help you that that won't tell that you have no idea what you're doing one of the directors got this job called PlaySafe, which is in, in la which and it was for a canadian marketing company they got five million dollars at the end of the year that they had to get rid of right and so they made a safety commercial called PlaySafe, and it had this little robot that spun through this factory in space and she cuts her arm off and, and then she puts her arm back on right clink, clink, and she goes i'm asta i i lost my arm but i can put it right back on you can't so play safe Boink. So, and it was amazing. I mean, it was, it was like all John Dykstra and all these guys from the best optical houses. And what they did is they had these enormous, six of these enormous tubes. And she was a gymnast in this robot outfit. And she spun down through these tubes that we did all these great gears and stuff. And then they slowed it down and they did it sideways. So it looked like she was spinning past things in low gravity. Right. And uh, it was a really cool commercial. You ought to look it up because it will blow your mind. I swear, I worked on this commercial with my sister, right? And by the same logic, the same, like Murphy's Law, the law of trying to find somebody that won't give you up, you know, in the long run, <laughs> she hired me. <laughs> Thanks, sis. And, and and I came in and I helped her out and uh, neither one of us left Hollywood. I mean, I went on and just did all kinds of stuff and I actually got the job on Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and when I did, I hired her. In fact, I got that job in an elevator pitch. I had worked with the special effects guys and I had built the town for uh, something called uh, Quiet Cool and we came down from there and and I, wor- I followed the special effects guy that was on that image engineering and I helped him. I ran his shop for a while and it 
just happened to be that he had at his shop, he, one of the jobs that he got was Nightmare on Elm Street 3. We did all the prep for that in the mechanical special effects and most of it involved like the worm and building the uh, chair, but the worm going through the floor and up the wall and all the rest of that, we did that. A lot of hilarious stories about that. I worked for him. I was going to the office to drop off his final invoice that we had to put in because I didn't have a director yet, but I went to the office to drop off the final invoice. And as I was waiting for the elevator, this guy walks up to me from Quiet Cool that that worked on Quiet Cool, Jerry Olson. And he was a producer on Quiet Cool. I was like, hey, Jerry, how the hell is it going? And we get in the elevator and I go, what are you down here for? And he goes, well, I just got this job being an executive producer, uh, pro- one of the producers on Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And I go, and I went, you need an art director production designer. And I'm the guy because I set up your effects already. And by the time I got out of the elevator, I had the job. <laughs> so I put my sister on as set decor as set decorator, and eventually we did it as co-art directors, and then we did Nightmare Four as co-production designers. Yeah, which when you hear the words elevator pitch, I'll bet that ninety percent of them didn't actually happen in an elevator. <laughs> I did that in eight floors, man. Eight (laughs) floors. Eight floors. You try that sometime. That's really hard work. I wish there was video of that. (laughs) That pitch. You know what? I am so glad that there is not video around. (laughs) <laughs> that that we didn't really have. I virtually didn't show up anywhere. I mean, you don't have me on any films back then. It's, <laughs> and it's just because I know how bad it could be, right? right. My, my mother was a probation officer. <laughs> it's like, whatever you do, don't do it in front of a camera. <laughs> Sound that's, advice. That's the best advice we've had on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, by the end of this, you could have thought to yourself that I was crazy, but let's face it, by the end of this, you're going to know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the problem with video. Exactly. We got you on the record. And ooh. <laughs> according to the all-knowing IMDb, your first gig was on Breaking 2. How did that come about? Okay, it wasn't my first gig, but IMDb, by the way, the IMDb of now, I mean, IMDb didn't exist until right. 1999, I think. And so in that, in that 90% of my career is, is covered by hearsay. You know, there are a couple of things that I was given credit for that I didn't do or that, that I was only two, on for two weeks, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But I also did, I did all the sets for Sid and Nancy. Do you guys know what Sid I, and Nancy is? I don't. I'm not familiar yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, I, wait a minute. I saw that look. I saw that look, right? That, that, yeah. That, <laughs> Nancy. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about, I, I got to tell you, I was there. I got to tell you a little Sid and Nancy story. So we did all these sets in, in a, a funky club downtown that had, had lost its license because they were selling huge quantities of drugs. So, well, this is the one, this is one of the ones that was caught. <laughs> so, okay. so we made, it was an enormous club. It was this big disco club and we did all the interiors of all the places that they did as a band together all the way around inside of this inside of this club and one of them was the sequence of him coming down the stairs in the french it was a french tv commercial and he was singing my way yeah and oh i did it my way and he's just staggering down the you know it's like then he'd stagger down to the bottom of the stairs and he's just so out of it and then the director goes cut and he goes um what do you think, chaps? Was was 
was was that acceptable? You know, and everybody's like, hey, <laughs> it goes back up to the top of the stairs again. And it's like, oh, guy was amazing. Oldman was amazing. I'm sorry. Was there a question? How you got on breaking two? Oh, so breaking two. Breaking two. So I don't really know how I got on to breaking two, but I do know that I was there. I I. Breaking 2 was like, it was such an interesting time in LA. It was this brief, like, six-month period where people stopped shooting at each other and started to dance at each other instead, which was fucking weird. I mean, it was if you look at the numbers of numbers of deaths went ding like this and the number of bad dance attacks went skyrocketed but there was this guy that had this palm tree wait well that uh, let, me, let me back up. Back it up that backs us up by the way that's we had to build the stages out in front of the miracles building for that and and we did and we did this balloon release and we had all this great stuff up there and the dp shows up very israeli so he's there's this thing about our israeli dps that, that they always use this one phrase that goes uh, I, I can't i can't believe we're just finding out about this now which is <laughs> which is like i've heard it every time i've ever seen one come on set and i remember i saw this guy walking in on another show and i turned to my construction coordinator and i get watch the first thing he's gonna say is i can't believe we're out you're finding out about this now and he did and my construction coordinator started laughing in the middle of the stage and just falls on the ground he's like ah, 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 ah. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you so we have this huge stage we had this huge stage and the dp shows up and the front of the building was on this little boulevard and it, it had palm trees in the middle of the road and i guess at one time maybe they had things around them and stuff like that but this is a long time down the road and, and literally they were just growing out of the asphalt at this point right one right after the other right down the <laughs> middle of the road and one of them is right up in front of the building right mm-hmm. and he goes we, we we can't shoot with that because we can't get the crane up if we assemble the crane and we don't hit with the front we're surely going to hit with the back of it and i was like okay okay look just give me till tomorrow tomorrow morning it was going to be you know the, the day of the shoot and i said i i think i know how i'm going to deal with this and i called up a guy and i said you know called up a guy that had a carrier he had a farm those trees the palm trees right that i will give you a thousand dollars to be at such and such a corner at six o'clock tonight and he goes okay thousand dollars cash just right i'll just give it to you and, and i'm going to give you a tree <laughs> <laughs> now they're worth a lot of money and so, <laughs> and so right at dusk and kids this is for the children out there if you're going to do something illegal <laughs> there's two times that you want you that you want to do it as you can't be seen by dawn or dusk you just can't see you just the, the light is just really bad for it so if you're going to do and this is come on i'm talking to little louis little leo out there you know you're going to do something illegal someday Right. <laughs> Just be safe when you do it. Yes, yes, yes. Be safe. <laughs> Play safe. Ah, ah, uh, that's I'm it. Gonna ah, ah, you brought it all the way back around. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, right at dusk, this guy shows up with his thing, which is like this 40-foot-long big diesel behemoth that has an arm that goes up like this. And I met him two blocks away, and I gave him a 1000 bucks. said, you're going to go down here right down to this spot, and you're going to back up to the last palm tree down there, and you're going to make it disappear. And he comes up, and I, I swear it took him like three minutes, man. He came up, and he threw the chains over it, and boom, boom, <laughs> rips it out of the ground. We had wheelbarrows of earth behind the building, and and asphalt and we come up and we and then we we put the earth in and we tamp it with our feet you know everybody looking around like this um 
tamping everything down. We tamp down the asphalt, and then we paint it to look exactly like the other asphalt, right? <laughs> and we all scurry, <laughs> and we all scurry away like <laughs> it's an acme job. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go home and we get up early in the morning and we have to be there early because we're our department and we're standing up there at, at, at like dawn. We're standing on top of the building watching watching the, the, the equipment move in, you know, and the trucks are parking and everything. And the guy comes, all of a sudden somebody comes, oh, oh, he's watching the guy comes out of the house that's right across from the tree. And he's coming out and he's in his his like bathrobe, you know, and he's in his morning robe and he's drinking his cup of coffee and he's looking for his newspaper. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> little, little paper and, and they delivered it early in the morning right and so he goes out and he swings open his little gate and we're all holding our breath watching going swings open his little gate and he goes down and he picks up his newspaper and he rubs the rubber band off you know rolls that off and opens it up and looks down and he turns and, he's, and he goes back and he, he, he opens his gate, closes his gate and starts to walk through his house looking at the paper. And all of a sudden, halfway, he stops. He stops and he goes like this. He goes, and he turns around and he looks really hard. <laughs> Right, right where that tree was, right at the where the tree was. He's like, didn't there used to be like a tree? Then he goes back to his paper and and opens the door, and that was it. Last I ever heard. (laughs) I was the happiest man in the world. (laughs) You ever thought about doing tree removal? Uh, no, I I like the fact that somebody else did it. (laughs) That was pretty cheap work, considering. I'm telling you, for a thousand bucks, right? (laughs) Cheap at twice the price. Right, yeah, not lying there. So forgive me for being stupid, but can you break down what an art director does? Okay, okay. Tree yeah. removal. <laughs> tree well, removal. That's the thing, tree removal. <laughs> yeah, essentially. No, no, you know what? An art director, okay, you're actually talking about two things. A production designer is the person that has a concept of what something looks like, and they coordinate with the DP and the director and everybody, and, and they make the scenery that's all around. They build the sets, pick the locations they modify the locations they have a hand in what the props look like they have a hand in what the costumes look like and in my case you have i have a big hand in in what the effects look like because i also have a tendency to design a lot of the effects when i'm on a big design mechanical effects extravagant that's what our purview is that's why i'm the third one when you look at the credits of a film you're going to see my credit come you're going to see costume credit come up you'll see my credit come up you'll see the dp credit come up and then the director's credit come up because those are the three people or the four people as far as I'm concerned everybody can, can be naked but that's what the four people that are involved are at the head of what a film looks like overall gotcha and and every film is is production design there is no film that is not unless you're just an idiot and and, and you don't know enough to care about it as a director if you don't know enough to care about it then it's going to to come back and bite you in the ass in your years in the business what project did you lose the most sleep over what was the most challenging uh the most challenging i really hated working with the director of blade he was just a massive dickhead just a <laughs> dickhead you know it's classically he's had so many arguments i have to say this is i was a i've been a production designer for years and i'm moving on and being a producer and being a director i'm directing something ne- next year and i've directed second unit for years and years and years 
years. I have to say that that's me. When I say that he is a dickhead and essentially untalented, and if he did anything right, it was accidental. He is now working as a assistant makeup effects artist, which is where he belongs. So he got all the way up to being director of a major film, and then he did The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and then he went right back to where he, w- he belonged. Scums. So he went back to where he belonged after he um, killed Sean Connery. Um, here, mix this silicone rubber up, bitch! <laughs> so if you don't mind, can you share a couple of his uh, faults oh, on the set? On, on the set? I can't specifically just because he was just such a constant dick, but I can tell you some of the reactions. Uh, you, you know what I'd say? I'd say? Just before I walked off, I mean, my major thing was the blood scene. At the very beginning, the blood the rave. Scene. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. That was my thing, and I was supposed to do the effects for the rest of the show, and I walked off at that point. When it was done, I just said, mm, that's enough. You know, I can tell you this for sure that on the day that I left, a cameraman that was 15 feet above his head operating an overhead camera jumped, jumped the guy from 15 feet. The guy was, the director was insulting him and he just jumped down on him and proceeded to beat him to <laughs> hit him with the top rope elbow drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wrestling moves. Not just, I mean, oh, on wrestling shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> Beat him to a pulp, and because it was a union show, they literally had to negotiate the crew back onto the set. Now, when you hear about that, you think, oh my God, that guy must have gotten into some horrible trouble. This is how much of a dick this guy was. When they negotiated back onto the set, the negotiations were that the director could only talk to one person on the set by contract, or he then had to leave the set for the rest of the day. Oh my God. Jesus. Wow. And still... Three weeks later, he got beat up by the grip department and everybody had to be negotiated on back onto the set again. It was so bad that they nobody ever got fired for it. I mean, he should have been fired for it. I got to go watch that movie again. Yeah. <laughs> just think about the director getting an ass whipped twice in the series. Twice. Your ass whipped twice on a show. And I'm just looking at a picture of the guy and I'm like, you know, I feel like he probably deserves that just based off of looking at well, him. And, and and let's face it, he was British, right? Uh, you know, he had it coming. I'm telling you, <laughs> I I got to the point to where you know when I heard not the the slangy British accent, that's fine. The thing is, is that the the upper crust British accent, an awful lot of those people, some of them are very very sweet. But but here's the problem: the ones that are bad <clears throat> is particularly because, and I'm not a gun control nut one way or the other, but I have to say that it does show that Britain has gun control because. <laughs> Some of those motherfuckers, if they grew up in Texas, they wouldn't have. (laughs) Well said. Jesus. Man, none of that was on the special features of that movie, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it didn't come out, yeah. (laughs) All right, hopefully you had a better experience on Witchboard because Kevin Tenney seems like he's a funny guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How was that for you? Kevin Tenney Tenney was all right. It was a lot of fun. I mean, we, that was all, I I remember smoking in huge uh, graveyards at night, you know, doing all these smoke ends and and we killed somebody with a uh, sundial. Yeah. That was so early in my career. It's funny. I was just, I was trying to remember that stuff from the other day. I usually remember things about from like Nightmare on Elm Street 3 onward. (laughs) 
<laughs> Lots of bone look, water. Look, you know what? We only have so much memory capacity. And you know what? If you, if you got to hold me next hold of me next week, I might have lost Nightmare on Elm Street 3. It's you know, you don't know. No, it's like you what you I'm getting up to the play, point where I'm old enough to I'm just replacing one week at a time. The first 20 years are about gone. Yeah, that's just about. <laughs> when I first got into the business, the, I told people that the first thing that I made was a resume because that's the first thing that's the first fictional thing I ever created was a resume. Uh, when I did the thing with the play safe thing and I did all the scenic painting and I learned how to scenic paint from some of the best in the business, you know, the greatest thing about it was I kept listening to every show that anybody else had talked about, right? Somebody mentioned something about Cucamonga Choo Choo. Just there was like all kinds of different films floating around that I knew were in pre-production. And I learned that word too, pre-production. And uh, <laughs> and I learned that they were in pre-production and that because nobody ever wanted to talk about, you know, specifically the film that they worked on at any given time, you know, that they couldn't talk that except for like the type crew that you were in right there. Then I just roll all those down. <laughs> <laughs> and that was and I remember the I had the hardest time 10 years later taking the five the first five years of my career off. The funny thing about it is, is it's just never did never would have done anybody any good anyway, because nobody ever looks at a resume and they just ah. you know Bill? Yeah, I know Bill. Oh god. Well you're hired. Come Bill. Yeah, from. you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> Get on the other side of this board. Let's go. Long story short, I mean a couple weeks ago we had Mick Garris on and he was telling us. And he was telling us that the budget for Freddy's Nightmare was absolute shit. <laughs> absolute shit. It was absolute shit. We, we were in the back of the building doing virtually anything that we could with anything that we had, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, because you worked on every episode, so you were making a chicken salad out of chicken shit. Oh, every yeah, episode. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because I mean I was so tired on that show because that show it was like they made twenty two episodes twenty two episodes that were an hour long that were written as two separate units right so that they mm. could be separated so that they could separate the twenty two into forty four you know this is this is yeah yeah real low budget TV thinking right so because of that the idea was that they were going to use all the same sets for the second half hour which they never did. <laughs> we always ended up like t doing 22 sets and we were just like, we had that this little square building that was, you know, like right next to, it was right in between a bar and a strip club, right in between a bar and and a strip club. It, the thing is, is at any given time when the grips had disappeared, all you had to do was find out if they were drunk or masturbating. <laughs> figure out where they were one of the two so you know you went left or right and, and this is how busy we were on that show the security door it had like one of those 14 foot security doors out front we, we we opened it at the very beginning of the show and we put like a wooden door that had soundproofing on it but it wasn't secure it was just a, a door that you would close for a take we found out when we left the building the final time we found out that we had broken the door when we opened it <laughs> And we had to wait for a guy to come so that I could leave for the last time. <laughs> Fuck that place. Jesus. <laughs> Bad memories. Oh, well, you know, there aren't a lot of memories there at all. I mean, I just... <laughs> 
<laughs> we did the Fat Boys video in that building. I like the little the the little set that we built that Freddie did his wraparounds in. You know, with all the doors and everything going crazy. Yeah. It was just so ambitious. And the writers had no the writers would write anything, but but we did some kind of fun things. I mean, we we did some overall overhead shots and pulled all the doors away and put a, a grate down so that all, all the windows came all, all of the walls came away and new walls came in and you're suddenly in a tunnel i can't say that we really had a lot of fun i remember driving home one time and my windshield wiper screwed up on my mercedes and i had to pull over the side of the road and cry it was just more than i could think <laughs> hey, sometimes you got to sometimes man you know your only reaction is that you know <laughs> hopefully your experience was a little bit better on tales from the dark side tales from the dark side that would that was like a beginning kind of thing and i i had a great time over there yeah that's <laughs> that's where i learned that i had an innate ability to figure effects out as well as it is how to build sets i mean building sets i've been building things since i was of course as kids we used to take welding torches and you'd take a balloon and you would like fill a balloon with half oxygen half acetylene and put the balloon in somebody's mailbox and take a little wick made out of a gas soaked piece of string and light it off and everybody run away in their bicycles or whatever and just you could get a long long ways away and then watch that mailbox <laughs> disclaimer kids don't do don't, that don't do that yeah that's a that's a federal offense kids don't do, do it do not make yeah problematic <laughs> you know tight yay hey you knew that talking to me would be problematic right i am what i am <laughs> problematic but fun you need that on well, problematic but fun yeah so taking that into account you know i turned around on tales from the dark side and, and you know just used all that wacky shit I, I remember like every once in a while you know at lunch i remember at lunch that we would do stop motion there was this one scene that we were trying to do right and we kept like doing stop motion at lunch for like two weeks and it you know that that that, that, that covering this body up so we did all kinds of shit we just had a blast uh, i have to ask did you ever get to meet docking dream warriors uh, i'm talking yeah yeah oh god <laughs> <laughs> Do I hear a great talking story? Oh yeah. I mean, look, you know how this is gonna go. This is a this is one one of my and here's the great thing is is this isn't even a drug related docking story. <laughs> <laughs> Not that that's a problem. Not that that was a problem. No. No, I built all the sets for the docking, you know, video, right? Dream boy. <laughs> <laughs> And it's such a terrible song, but it's just so great, right? <laughs> right. So the thing is, is when he does his solo, he's supposed to be George. This is George, right? Yeah, yeah George Lynch. Okay. He's supposed to break through this wall. Did you see him pitching forward as he comes? Like he was struggling a little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's exactly what happened. <laughs> So he gets back. I'm not going to say that he was an egotistic, complete coked up mess. I'm not going to say that. But we were talking to him behind the scenes and he's got, you know, the skeleton guitar, right? And he's going to break through the wall. Now, here's the thing. Thing is, is if you know anything about a breakaway, you know that the first time that you go through a wall, if it's a floor to ceiling wall, the first time you go through it, you're going to wind up on your face. And there's a specific reason for that is because your feet don't believe you. No 
matter how hard you tell your feet that this wall that is made out of foam, your feet go, yeah, but you said that three nights ago and we slammed into that thing. We slammed into the coffee table at three o'clock in the morning and you said that you had it, but you didn't, right? (laughs) This is is the experience of your feet for years and years. So when you come up to something like that, your feet naturally just kind of like go... And you pitch forward and you land on your face. And we warned him about this. We said, look, dude, we want you to go through a couple of other foam walls first. And we got them all set up here. And if you, no, we don't have time for that. I'm I'm, I'm ready, man. I'm absolutely ready. And he's like, okay. Nobody really liked him that much. So it was like, okay, <laughs> fine. So we get back. <laughs> So he gets back and he and he gets and he just like just a run at it, you know. It's like like he figured he was gonna run, he was gonna stop, right? Yeah, that's not what happened. What happened is he broke through the wall, his feet stopped and went, Well, fuck you. And he went head oh he literally pitched over, went all the way over and landed on his feet, completely confused, right? Just like, oh, so instead of having a, oh, it was oh, like this. <laughs> so the way you see is you see him like literally past the camera, like go, oh, past the camera. There's a flip over and then they pick him up just standing there going, right? Keep rolling, keep rolling. <laughs> be fine. Keep rolling. <laughs> Whoever added to that deserves a raise. Oh my God, really? I, I'm just, I'm just telling you. You know, it's, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know, we used to, we used to have this this joke called, you know, ah, we'll fix it in post. And baby, basically, what that used to mean was we're just going to cut that all out. Yeah. <laughs> Our motto is we'll fix it in post. <laughs> like at the end of this, you're going to go, yeah, we're going to fix this in post. So earlier this week, I was watching one of my favorite movies from the early '90s, and your name just happened to pop up on it, and it was Hercules and the Underworld. Ooh. <laughs> you were and i see that you worked on all those damn kevin sorbo movies I did. How did, how did constantly getting beat up by the fucking maori oh by by, by all the the new zealand yeah maori right yeah that's you're yeah, right maori. yeah he used to beat the living shit out of him he used to <laughs> Yeah, New Zealand is a completely different place. It, it everything there, yeah, everybody can do everything down there. America is the land of specialists. It was completely different. You know, we're gonna need a bunch of people to make all the swords. And literally, the neighbor of everybody, <laughs> the neighbor of everybody, <laughs> had, had an aluminum smelter in their backyard, right? <laughs> We had 10 different people making aluminum swords, right? Yeah. And then giving them to the Maori so that they beat the living shit out of Kevin Sorbo, man. (laughs) They would just crush him. He says, I swear. He says, Mick, the problem is, is there isn't anybody down here that can teach anybody else how to pull a punch, how to pull a punch, or how to not hit me with a fucking aluminum sword. (laughs) So so makeup became really important. Why do you think he had that fucking fake tan? <laughs> touch it up. So were all those made in New Zealand? Uh, yeah, all oh, that. Well, damn, I did not. That explains why Timothy Baum was in there, because he lives in New Zealand. There, there you go. No, Lucy Lawless came off that show. By the time I left, they had started doing Xena. I, I did all the movies and then started in on the shows themselves and then eventually faded out and came back to America. Gotcha. So specifically on that Hercules and the Underworld one, what, what sets did you build? That was the one with Prometheus? Yeah, that was the one where you goes down to Hades to get his wife themed around something I remember there were th- tunnels in one of them and then, and then there was Prometheus in another and I do know that there we did a lot of really practical effects that were 
you know, like amazing. Like we did shifting process kind of stuff where you put up a mirror. We sat down, we did the math on one of them. We have a giant talking to Hercules, right? And we did it in camera so that the giant is Prometheus and you have an enormous set. What we did is we did the bottom of the, the idea is the inside of a temple. The temple are these steps that go up to Prometheus's chair. And so the bottom 12 feet of it is actually on the stage and you can look. And so the camera points at that points at that and and you watch hercules come in through the door like this but the stage is only 12 feet high and then you see his feet or you see his uh sandals right here in front of you well that's all built and then when you look from there on up that's actually on another smaller set over here you're looking at this set through a mirror set at a 45 pitch. And so then we make sure that every line is lined up for pillars and columns and stuff. And we actually put the actor doing Prometheus over here on this set at a considerable distance away from the camera. So then I got to scrape the mirror between the two using a monitor. So then I scrape off the mirror so that when you're looking this way at this set, I scrape off the mirror and I can see up to 12 feet, but the rest of it is seen over here in the mirror. So he, so then Prometheus over there talks this way and Hercules talks this way and they're standing, you know, 40, 50 feet apart at an angle to each other, but it looks like they're talking right to each other and you're actually seeing it in real time on the camera. That's using history. If you remember a film called Metropolis, and if you're a film buff, you've seen it before, okay? Metropolis operating the swinging arms that go around them like that, okay? That's how they shot that, it was the same way. Guys are small in front of the big set. It's all done with mirrors. You know what? That's actually, fuck, I could actually say this. Yeah, it's done with mirrors <laughs> smoke and mirrors no smoke. no no smoke let me tell you you can't use smoke the dp tried and here's what happens right you're looking directly at one set but you're looking at the other set 50 feet away and if you put the smoke in the smoke then tells the story and it obliterates the one that's 50 feet away that's not the smoke i was referring to <laughs> <laughs> so texas chainsaw massacre 3 vigo mortison how was that i love it i used to i talked to bill butler all the time and he talked about him and kate hodges are good friends of mine and they used to talk about you know how them and vigo used to live in the same apartment complex in hollywood and they would drive up at once all at once in the same little in uh bill butler's little tiny car <laughs> We used to laugh because I would talk about the same thing is coming home back into the LA area from north of LA earlier, early in the morning and just being caked with blood from one end to the other and going into a 7-Eleven and trying to get a Slurpee, you know. <laughs> and it's and it's great because it's LA. Yeah, I was about to say it's pretty common. Nobody thinks a thing about it. You know, it's like, it's like you're literally standing in line with a cop. <laughs> caked in blood from head to toe <laughs> hey man how's it going bob oh this is great you know uh, have you seen any good horror movies recently have i oh yeah i i gotta tell you i've uh i saw malignant didn't know really <laughs> what to think about that you know i i liked it i liked it and hated it all at the same time that's the response most people give I, I, I'm telling you, you know, but but the thing that I don't understand about it, and there, I mean, just from a understanding point of, about it, is it sure left it. The second part is how are they going to get out of that house? Everybody left in the room has committed multiple felony felonies, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, nah, I think you didn't think about that, did yeah, you? She's just going to be was like, the first thing I thought about. I thought, well, everybody in this room is a criminal. <laughs> there, there was a lot of quit. I mean, I personally, I'm in love with it. Like right. I've watched it three times. But tell me, you but know? there are holes but, everywhere. And oh I, God, yeah. And I sort of got. If I ever see that effect again, I'm going to projectile vomit all over it. That is shifting <laughs> of the room. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a bit true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of got, you could only do something that bad with lots and lots and lots of money. Spill <laughs> the beans on Kazam. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I'm curious about too. Cause that one sticks out. Kazam really had two really interesting things happen that had nothing to do with the movie itself. I do remember that Kazam's dog shit on the floor of the set one time and the incredible battles that ensued as to whose and what's department it was to pick up that shit. It was amazing. And finally came up up to me and they said, we have a horrible problem. We can't shoot because there's a shit right in the middle of the set. And Shaq's job, yeah, everybody's refusing to deal with it. And I go, I'll deal with it. And I went out and I went, because it was California, I just went out in the corner and I hired some guy off the fucking street for 50 bucks. Hey, would you go pick up a shit? Give me 50 bucks. And I gotta get credit. Did, and he did. <laughs> I would have. Easiest 50 bucks that man's ever made. I'm telling you, right? You know, hello. It's like everybody got so like, you know, butthurt offend. It was it was a butthurt defend offended time though. It was I remember that there were two times that the whole film shut down. Jerry Garcia died during it, and literally all the grips in our department just took off. Oh shit. Just couldn't be found. Nobody could be found. <laughs> that was one thing. And then the jury, the verdict came down for the civil trial of OJ Simpson. Ooh. And the shit and and the set got shut down for a day. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, we used it was a strange uh it was a strange affair. I remember that that we used to by contract we had to carry around a professional uh basketball ball hoop with us. You know the whole professional thing is carried by a huge truck right right right. you're professional and the problem is that everybody on the crew could shoot higher three throw averages than Shaq. Which, which was part of the re. it was the reason that we had to carry it because he was contractually obligated to to practice to practice the problem is is it was hard to be Shaq and go up against the key grip who could drop nine out of ten with no problem and Shaq <laughs> couldn't do three <laughs> it was problematic eventually it got sent away and it never found its way back to set and, and it wasn't and it wasn't official either some guy came up some guy came up to me from like you know some place he said hey man you know that basketball hoop that we're carrying around that that you had the contract from the forum? And I go, oh yeah, yeah. Trust me, I I know the key grip's doing pretty good, huh? And he goes, <laughs> yeah. He says, what would I have to pay you to just make that thing disappear? <laughs> <laughs> so it disappeared. <laughs> just like the palm tree, you're you're good at that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, it's just like the palm tree. <laughs> and I go, could you put some palm leaves on it? <laughs> <laughs> I got a guy because I got a guy. <laughs> it's going to cost you a grand, probably 1200 by now. <laughs> Did the shit pick her up or get a movie credit? Uh, I, I seriously, I, I think that the whole point of was that he wasn't going to get a credit. <laughs> <laughs> I 
do remember I do remember the first time that I met Chuck I was talking to the producers we were walking down a hallway and I was uh distracted you know one of those times when you're well, well, well look at this on this piece of paper well I don't know about this and this and this and all of a sudden I just got poked in the eye and I'm like, what the fuck and <laughs> and the producer goes hey Mick I'd like you to to meet Jack <laughs> it's like me in the eye with his bent arm because he was reaching out to try and shake my hand right in the fucking eye I couldn't <laughs> believe it I was like the concept of a human being that big and and, and you know I'd worked with I'd worked Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and and Dave Robinson I'd worked with a lot of different people that were you know of odd heights the, the, the weird thing about him is that he was just he was proportionately yeah just big <laughs> yeah, yeah. three-dimensionally you know, I mean, wise he was huge yeah he's just huge i mean he's just it, it is like kareem abdul jabbar is like this whippoorwill you know that went up. <laughs> and and usually you get a tall guy and and they're really long and thin and, and, and he's built like curly from the three stooges only if curly <laughs> happened to be you know eight feet tall i was gonna were you in any way shape or form responsible for that weightlifting cockroach kill and nightmare four is that was that you're doing oh god in every way you can imagine <laughs> in fact all right well you have haunted my nightmares for uh, years <laughs> <laughs> well well screw you <laughs> well screw I, me you're the one causing me trauma that's right exactly <laughs> I will end with one of my favorite stories, though, about that. And it's specifically about that. We had ordered this stuff called Ultra Slime. Now, you know that stuff that stuck to her face and it's yeah like this? That stuff had just come out and it was amazing. And I mean, literally, it says if you buy a small amount of it, it says that you have to, as you open the jar, you have to have scissors. And it's so true because otherwise it pulls all of it out of the jar right it, wow. it, it, and that's that's if you even get a little bit of it stuck to the lid it will eventually just travel until all of it leaves the jar right now so <laughs> we order 50 gallons of this and i mean the cost at the time is probably about 500 a gallon something like that so you're talking about multiple multiple thousand dollars worth of for for a 50 gallon drum we get the 50 gallon drum the day before we start that sh filming that scene. And so it, it's at two o'clock in the morning and the stage was open all the time because we always had something going. And, and so the, so we get the barrel and I had the barrel put in a room a little bit down from my office and I get one of those big, you know, mi you mix drywall mud with, it's the big paddle, like about this big and, and an enormous drill body and like a really long mixer you know, maybe three feet long, four feet long, right? And I have all this standing by and I, and it comes clear. So I have to get it to that disgusting color that we got, right? So I mix in the food, some food coloring and I pour the food coloring in and I have a guy that's just, just, is I just remember it being fairly short. It was like, yeah. And I want you to mix this for me. And then we're going to check the color and then we'll go and we'll distribute it on the set. And I go back to my office and I just get back and I just got to sit down on my chair and all of a sudden I hear, Oh my God, help, help me. And I'm like, <laughs> Fuck. And I get out and I run and I pull the door open. And this is what I see. I see the glob of all 50 gallons <laughs> has come up the shaft <laughs> And enveloped him. And he, his hands are covered with it. His head is covered with it. His chest, virtually everything. And he's trying to clear his mouth. And I'm like, so I get in there not trying to clear his mouth. And eventually we have to go to an auto parts store. 
uh, that's open 24 hours and get those little plastic spreaders you use for Bondo, right? And scrape him down because this is like $15,000 worth of goods. <laughs> great. Scrape <laughs> him down onto a piece of plastic, which he hated me. He hated me. And we were just, <laughs> I had like, as any of my crew came back in, we were just all in there like scraping them down and then we get it down on the ground and we just kind of push it all together to get the color right and take it out that's just one story of it how's that for a wow. jesus story <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now your now your dreams are really going to be on it has that guy talked to you since how was that mitch oh that was yeah that was good that was great i wasn't expecting that one <laughs> <laughs> I was just expecting, yeah, you're welcome for all the bad dreams, but gave me nightmares and almost killed a man. There you go. Almost <laughs> killed a man. Nick, when you're watching a movie, what's your favorite thing to snack on? What's that one thing that just makes your movie watching experience perfect? I like popcorn and Watney's Ale. <laughs> Even mm. if I'm in a theater, I'll stop and I'll, okay. sneak, hey. sneak me, I'll get the popcorn and I'll sneak in my... Uh, a Watney's ale and it makes the popcorn one makes the other one chewy. I don't know. I don't know how it works, but it's, it, it, so, it, 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 it's alchemy, man. It's absolute alchemy, alchemy, yeah. alchemy. <laughs> Some sort of science is going on there. Yeah. It's, it, oh, no, it's science. <laughs> it's gastrointestinal sciences, right? There. Well, Mick, I guess to wrap up here, just tell folks if you, ha- you got anything else on the horizon, what's coming up for you. I'm working on and off in Canada on a set of horror films that are based on uh, games that kids play sort of like the uh, Candyman kind of story the mm. three that sort of game there's a plethora of them that I didn't know about this and so all, all those games I uh, I have a producer that put those games together and it's going to be like the only PG thing that I think that I've ever <laughs> worked on but there's that i'm going to be working here with jack shoulder pretty soon on a vampire film jack shoulder and i did the hidden together Hmm. back in the day and oddly enough we're both going to get out there with with our walkers get our walkers out there and put on a good show i uh next summer i'm doing a house i am uh, directing a film called the house in the pines i've seen that around floating around yeah well that's that's gonna be my fault I didn't write it. It was uh, Mario Cerrito. He is the director of Human Hibachi and now directing Human Hibachi 2. And I said, you know what? I will agree. I will agree to do your film House in the Pines if I don't have to watch Human Hibachi. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Fair trade. Just saying, you know, there's some some lines beyond which I will not go. Well, Mick, we don't have anything else for you. It's been a hoot and a half. Oh, uh, yeah. Have you have you enjoyed yourselves? We have enjoyed ourselves thoroughly. So. One of my favorites. <laughs> I have a customer <laughs> survey that uh, that once I hang up, they'll be calling you back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we won't be here. It's, it's it's not the normal one, you know. It's it's like first of all, they get on the phone and they go, "Was he a dickhead again?" <laughs> and, and then I get points for that. <laughs> I'll give you a good review. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, hey, it, it's been a lot of fun. You've laughed in all the right places. I'm sure we'll we'll catch you down the road, man. We, we should all bow, bow our heads for Norman McDonald. Yes, out. yes. Yeah. Right now, everybody. Let's go. Uh, because Norm McDonald was the fucking funniest man that's ever existed. And somebody, somebody who somebody who actually put humor above above himself so many times and pissed off so many people. <laughs> <laughs>
I love that. <laughs> yeah, I just watched the uh two hours of him just ripping OJ to pieces a couple of days ago. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Wait, he lost he lost his job. Yeah. He lost his job over it. And and how many times did they warn him? You know? It was like great. It's like and and on I think the second to the last time he says, I've been warned a lot of times uh about talking about OJ, but then so was he. So <laughs> <laughs> well thanks guys it has really been a blast all right mick you Thank have a good you. rest of your evening man you guys have a great one bye